Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is residential LTL delivery perfected with my friend Gabe Pankinen. Gabe is the CEO of Rocket Shipping, a full-service logistics provider focusing on four core competencies, LTL shipping, white glove and home delivery, full truckload management, and technology and integrations. Gabe and his team work with a lot of e-commerce companies with their direct-to-consumer LTL shipments, a service that requires perfection. Gabe is a fascinating guy, so check out our conversation. But before we get to the interview, I want to tell you about my friends over at Tomorrow. Website is tomorrow.io. Tomorrow has developed a weather intelligence and climate security platform that is custom built to help logistics and transportation companies to reduce the impact of weather on their operations. The cost of weather-related accidents, delays, inventory damage, service failures, hours of service problems, they're enormous. But what can we do? We can't change the weather. But we can do a better job of planning around the weather. And that's exactly what they do for you over at Tomorrow I.O. They have their own satellites. This is the next generation of weather forecasting. Check them out at Tomorrow I.O. I will put a link in the show notes so you can reach out and talk to them. So how's it going, Gabe? Hey, I'm living my best life today, Joe. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk to you about this, Gabe. So Gabe, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Yeah, so my name is Gabe Pankinen, as you introduced so so well. I'm the CEO of Rocket Shipping, and I am calling in from Fargo, North Dakota. Very nice, very nice. So what does Rocket Shipping do? And by the way, since I'm asking, I know you're also affiliated with Rocket Logistics. So explain the difference between Rocket Logistics and Rocket Shipping and what you guys do in those companies. Yeah, so Rocket Shipping, we specialize in LTL. We started as basically a niche provider for managed transportation for e-commerce brands that were shipping you know, high volume, big and bulky products to residences. And so that would be patio furniture, grills, any other indoor furniture or home delivery goods. And so that's what we started with. And we really focused on the customer service, the reconsignments, the reclasses and tariff negotiation. We developed tech and, and over the years of you know, serving our customers and getting feedback, we developed our, our TMS, which now allows us to bring our clients direct tariffs in and put them next to our blanket rates. We manage the whole thing. The only thing we were missing was truckload. And about nine months ago, we started Rocket Logistics, which is our, our truckload brokerage uh, that is separated on our own MC. The differences between them is that Rocket Logistics has a niche as well, and that would be enterprise CPG truckload shippers that are doing RFP cycles. And of course, to fit with Rocket Shipping, the mid-market truckload shippers that aren't necessarily doing RFPs, their LTL spend might be larger than their truckload, but it's still a sizable spend on truckload. They're working with multiple brokers, the spot boards. What we do, we come in there, we analyze all their data, we look at their lanes, and we source carriers for them as if they were enterprise so they can have more repeatable service and probably better rates depending on the market, of course. And that's how Rocket Logistics complements the Rocket brand. Yep. So we're talking about residential LTL delivery. Well, perfected. That's what you guys have done. And for those who are not in it day to day, we, what LTL means less than truckload, and it is 
I think one tenth the size of the truckload market. Maybe it's even smaller. I don't even know. It is dominated by 10 players. I think there's 10 LTL companies that have 80% of the volume. And I think if you look at the top 25 players, they have 90% of the market, 90%. Now almost 99. Yeah. So if I'm an LTL shipper and I say, Oh, I, I want to start delivering to homes the list gets really small. And if I want to deliver on a national level, am I wrong to say there's only a few? I think there's FedEx, does it? Yeah, there's probably like five that'll do it. You know, XPO, FedEx, ABF, Estes, you know, of course, you know, RNL and Sire. Is Estes nationwide? RNL and Sire are getting closer to nationwide, but I would say XPO, FedEx, and uh, ABF, Estes as well are, are doing it nationwide to delivering to homes. FedEx is like really focused on it right now. It has always been something I suspect that people call you and they might say, I'm guessing, I've called everybody and they tell me, no, I won't do residential LTL for you. Yeah, especially at high volumes, right? I think that, you know, the average sales rep or third party brokerage of the big brokerages, if they hear residential, they kind of say, do you have anything else for us? How about truckload? How about LTL Mm -hmm. B2B inbound? And then we'll put up with that. But if it's a brand that's shipping 20 or 30 a day straight to straight to doors or, you know, houses, then uh, they're shying away from that because of the customer service that goes with it and the maintenance of the account. Yep. And I should say this again, in case somebody's not day to day in the LTL, I'll give my layman's version of it. I want to hear your, your two cents on it too. <laughs> so if I needed, I'm in Detroit area, if I needed to ship something way out to Fargo where you're at, I, I let's just say I have one one or two pallets and I want to ship it. I don't want to spend on a truckload because my pallets, I, I might be selling you something for $4,000. The truckload might cost me, <laughs> I'm guessing $4,000. Yeah, two to three, yeah. Yeah, it's it would be expensive. So what I would prefer to do is I would like to say, I'm going to put my pallets on the back of somebody else's truck. And um, I would have to tell them, I wouldn't sneak. <laughs> but... Over time, a market developed and it's called less than truckload. And so you have these 25 big players and what they'll do is like an old fashioned milkman would have done in the morning. They go out and do they, their route. They'll go in the Detroit metro area and pick up their route, bring everything back to the terminal. And then that terminal has a line haul that would go west and it might stop in Chicago and then continue on to you know, wherever else, and then eventually to Fargo. And then to get to your place, there'd be another route driver, local driver. Probably an agent over in the Fargo area because it's probably not a direct of that carrier. It's probably a partner carrier. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that. By the way, I'm writing that down. We're going to come back and talk about partner carrier because that is one of the challenges, especially when talk about the center of the United States is where they say, we don't deliver there, but one of our partner carriers does. But when we're talking about LTL, that is traditionally more handling. Cost per pallet, and I only have two pallets, is higher, but I don't have to go get a whole truck. So so if I have you know the perfect scenario, I want to ship full truckloads. That's the best price per pallet. But if I'm only shipping a pallet or two, that's what I want to do. And by the way, if you talk about um, manufacturing plants, they want LTLs every day or every other day rather than full truckloads sometimes. That's their choice. That's what they prefer to do. 
stores are the same way. They don't always want full truckloads. They don't need full truckloads. So this market is incredibly important and it's very, very difficult. I know during the pandemic, we had LTL carriers saying, we closed that lane. We won't move anything in that lane for, for three weeks. Yeah. They embargoed zip codes. It was just ridiculous. Yeah. And that's what they call it, embargo, right? So they the embargo means I'm not shipping. And and I don't know, that means you're buying a truckload. You're, everybody's scrambling and using box trucks, whatever they might be doing. LTL is super important and I will say much harder than traditional truckload shipping. What's your two cents on it? Yeah. I, the only thing I would add to it is that that's the reason most brokerages start in truckload. You know, one, you can't just start with LTL rates. You have to negotiate with these carriers and they have a, what I call a monopoly on the market. There's like five or six big third parties and there's 25 carriers. In truckload, there's thousands of brokerages and thousands and thousands of drivers and trucks and options and equipment. So it's a little easier to enter, but you know, only the strong survive in that market as well. In LTL, I would say that if I was explaining to somebody who's not in the industry, think of retail and manufacturing. That's like the two, the yin and the yang of LTL is that manufacturing needs to get stuff to their customers quickly. They can't always wait until there's a full truckload available. They can't consolidate all their orders. And a lot of their customers are only ordering a certain quantity and they don't want to wait a month to get that quantity. They need that pallet just in time manufacturing. Retail, just think of Target. They don't want to take in necessarily a truckload of a new product and you go to target you see new different types of products all the time with you know, apparel and makeup and accessories they don't want to hold the whole truckload they don't know if they'll sell it and so they want to have a pallet at a time from their warehouses coming in uh, and so we need that flexibility and I, I remember when i was doing when i was still working at 3pl i think we had customers that would ship big lawnmowers the industrial the commercial grade we do two, 300 in a week this time of year. We're in June. And we had an automotive, com- automotive company where we supported their factories. We do two or 300 yeah. LTLs into those locations every week. And you, it, sometimes you would look and say, we sent from one company four, four pallets in two different loads. They were happy with that because sometimes at those manufacturing facilities, they have inventory challenges. They don't want to carry inventory. And they say, by the way, sometimes inventory carrying costs are higher than transportation costs. We sometimes, we in our space sometimes think transportation costs are really important in the overall. And it is super important in our space. But I will tell you, I spent my career in automotive, early career, could not care less about the cost of logistics. When I wanted to ship something, we shipped it. I never said, oh, well, I need to, we need to get four quotes. No, we had somebody who did it. And and it was four or 5% of our revenue. So it typically didn't rise to the, my level of concern. Well, and also to kind of talk about the residential side and why, you know, I think that that's the market for companies like rocket shipping is that on the exact opposite end of the spectrum is e-commerce brands where they're offering free shipping because Amazon Prime did that and kind of controlled <laughs> the market. Thank <laughs> you. And their shipping spend is 20% of the revenue of their company, not 4%. So all they care about is 3% yes. savings. It's a different it's world. They live in a different world from... Yeah, and, and yeah. By the way, when you're talking about automotive, you're probably talking a lot of truckload. 
and every truckload is pretty much optimized. There's not a lot of like empty stuff going on. Cube it out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you have all sorts of dunnage engineers who are, their job is to say, we designed that part. I always remember, I was an engineer and uh, we designed parts and they would say, no, you can't, you can't do this because then we ha- we can't ship as many per truck. And I was like, God darn it. Like, I, what do you mean the truck is going to yeah, design? product design and shipping go hand in hand there. Well, not only that, I mean, this is a, your engineering design lesson. First, you're developing it for the product, for the car, right? Then you're developing it for the manufacturing plant because you have to be able to put it on. There can't be a whole bunch of blind operations. It can't be dangerous, right? You want consistently going on, but also it has to be developed with service in mind. So if it has to ever come off the car, then as before transportation. So you have a million people who have inputs into your design. You're not going in by yourself and developing something. <laughs> I'd imagine, yeah. Anyway, so let's switch gears for a second. Tell me a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started rocket shipping and, and rocket logistics. Yeah. So I grew up in a town called Purim, Minnesota. It's an hour from Fargo. Uh, it's lakes country in Minnesota. You mean ice ice country, did you mean? Yeah, ice country. <laughs> that's for sure. We do ice fish a lot because that's most of the year. And we get two beautiful months of summer and the rest is either winter or maybe a little spring. We might get a fall, but it's mostly winter, summer here. But no, I grew up as 3,000 people in town, real small town. Did well in high school, went to college and I played baseball in college. Sports was kind of like my whole- Really? Where'd you go to school? I went to, I played junior college baseball, and then I ended up transferring to NDSU for a semester, which would have been my goal of playing Division One baseball. I never did end up playing with them. I had to have shoulder surgery, and that's like the story of every college athlete ever. So there you go. I could have made that up. It could be true. But transferred to NDSU, which was in Fargo. So I landed here, and I met my now wife, who actually was from Perm as well. But we did not date in high school, just through happenstance of going to different colleges. And I transferred over to play baseball and ended up getting married instead. Very nice. And so it worked out really well for me. I married up. But yeah, that's how I started actually in my career too. And it's a, it's an easy pivot to talk career chronicles, maybe not highlights. But I was in college, got married, didn't have baseball anymore for the last year of college. First year, I didn't have to play or get to play baseball and I didn't have a job. And for some reason, my wife didn't agree with that. Like, I don't know what was going on there. We had student loan money. So instead of baseball, I was just doing, you know, I was a pre-med student. And so I was just studying all the time. And I thought, I don't need to work. One day, my wife came home as she was leaving to her three straight days of 12-hour shifts as a nurse. She mentioned I should get a job over the weekend. (laughs) And so... I went job hunting and I came up empty handed. I interviewed like six different places to be a waiter. And I thought I would have been a great waiter, but I couldn't even get an interview or get hired. As I was coming home to the apartment, I didn't want to come home empty handed. So I stopped at Walmart and I got a job on the spot. Nice. They were just like, yeah, we'll hire you. Just a walk-in interview. And they're like, we can hire you for 11 bucks an hour. And so I came home. I was like, I got a job. And it went about as well as you'd expect. I actually ended up, this is my favorite part of the story. I ended up piercing ears at the jewelry counter at Walmart. <laughs> and I don't know how that happened. I didn't apply for that job. They just needed somebody one day and they said, Gabe, can you do it? And the training was just as good as freight training in brokerage. Here's uh, an ear piercing gun. Try it on an employee and then on a, on a five-year-old. Oh, man. Ear piercing at Walmart. And so that's what I did for like six months. Uh, I 
worked 2 p.m. to 11 p.m. after my uh, school was out and I pierced ears whenever someone showed up. There is a connection to trucking, though, and I forgot. I've never really told this part of it. About twice a month, a trucker would come in with a with his girlfriend and buy her an engagement ring at Walmart. And I got to be there for that. And it was always the most interesting stories of like, sometimes they had just met. Sometimes they've been dating on the road for years. And finally, he got her a ring. And it was always, you know, I was involved in, you know, getting engagement rings from Walmart. And so that's a, an angle on logistics I didn't have before. So if you want to learn about this, about logistics and supply chain, there's probably no, there's few places as good as Walmart. Yeah, I stocked the shelves. I, I unloaded the trucks. I did a lot of that because it was always like a nine-hour shift. You just kind of helped wherever you could. And so if there was nobody at the counter, then I was unloading trucks or zoning or stocking shelves. So yeah, I did see a lot of supply chain. Interestingly enough, they get rid of so much stuff at Walmart. like, And they donate it to the community. But if a box is defective, like if there's a dent in an egg carton, but the eggs are fine, they put it and they give it away. They don't sell it. And so they call it zoning and you go through everything of produce and food and you just put it in the back and they just have pallets a day just get given away. And I think, don't quote me on this, but I think some of that goes to Aldi and like that type of supply chain. And then they sell it for less same day. And that's like their critical supply chain part. Isn't that interesting? I, I, I will say people don't give Walmart enough credit. So they get, they get slammed in the press all the time. When I was still doing logistics services, we had a customer that did solar panel brackets, the massive brackets that hold the solar panel. And we were moving those to Walmarts all over the, all over the country. Not, not, in, not in North Dakota, not in Michigan. We don't get enough sunshine here. But anywhere where the sun shines a lot. We are, so so they have, they've got a ton of – they were early on in that. Their trucks are probably greener than any trucks on the road these days. Um, and they consistently spend on – getting greener and you know and the nature of their business is it's really low margin and it's really high volume and super high volume their online business is really high margin right now though so walmart like competing with amazon with the online e-commerce they have very good margins there so that's been wind in their sales yep and by the way speaking of supply chain challenges and i'm i'm confident they'll figure it out walmart i think has traditionally been about 10 percent of the gdp of china massive massive player there and by the way that's what you know always low prices we loved it everyone's like oh i want to buy i want to buy american yeah but your your neighbor who lives in that nice house next to you doesn't work in a textile plant so we don't have that we don't make <laughs> yeah. our own t-shirts or our own anything a lot of that we stuff moved yeah, to we china don't make anything anymore so, but i think you're going to see walmart backing a little out of that relationship and trying to figure out who to work with in latin america and more more will be sourced from here so they got everybody's got their own supply chain challenges but anyway so after walmart give us some other career highlights before you started rocket shipping yeah. So from there, I was at my senior year, my last semester of college in, in Fargo. And on the bulletin board, I saw an ad and it was like, hey, come work here. 14 bucks an hour cash bonuses. It did not say the name of the company. It didn't say what it was doing. I just called the care. number. <laughs> I was like, dude, that's way more than I make and I can get cash. Let's do this. I got to get out of this Walmart job. It's killing me because it was two to bad hours. PM. That's tough. Yeah, that was bad. It was tough. So I figured I'd try something else and it ended up being a company called Unishippers. And I showed up oh, and it was one wow. of those interviews where there's like 
multiple people applying at the same time. It was like a group interview and I made it through and they're like, yeah, do you want to work here? And I said, well, what am I going to do? And they're like, you just make a hundred cold calls a day and you get paid 14 bucks an hour and there you go. And so I took that. It was more money than Walmart. And the first day it was crash course freight brokerage training. They tried to teach me LTL parcel with UPS and how to cold call all at once that lasted a week. And they just put us on the phones. And I did that for the last year, last semester. And then my wife was getting her RN degree as a nurse. And so I kept working there to put her through her last part of her school. So I worked at Unishippers for a year and a half. And all I did, I never got promoted to a sales rep. I stayed as an intern in the call center for a year and a half as a hundred calls a day was the quota and 500 a week. If you hit that, you could leave early on Friday. That's all I did. I know Unishippers is, they are a reseller of UPS parcel services. So they have a, a number, they have a whole network here across the US. But I think at one time they had, they represented DHL. They did. Yeah. That was back in the day. That was when. When DHL was coming to the US. Yeah. DHL had a deal with Worldwide and Unishippers, I think, and maybe even Echo back in the day. But Unishippers and Worldwide ended up being the two with UPS. And now, you know, candidly, Worldwide and Unishippers and Global Trans are all owned by the same company and they're kind of separate brands, but it's one company now. And so I don't know how the UPS relationship will shake out with that. Global Trans is the odd man out on that relationship, but Worldwide and and Unishippers both sold Parcel. And so I was tasked with selling LTL at Unishippers, but we had a quota to hit for UPS. So you had to have one new UPS customer every month as a as an intern in order to like meet that quota and the rest was LTL. But it's a super interesting sell and relationship there. We were like a part of an- I've done a little bit of work in the past with Unishippers and I always think there's too many, too many mouths to feed in the deal because you have the LTL company, they got to get paid, they're, they're moving it. And then they're paying Unishippers, they got to get paid because they've got the, and then the salespeople have to get paid and then the franchises yeah and then the franchise and so so i just feel like it, it, it's selling ltl is tough enough adding an extra mouth or two to feed that's every once in a while i'm sure you've experienced this where somebody's like hey just give me a finder's fee and you're like god you know you, they, there's not enough money in all these deals like that's no, a problem. Yeah. <laughs> like look i can hardly pay the sales rep commissions on some of these accounts so but yeah so. when and why did you start rocket shipping well, so I, I did mention I was a pre-med student and I had planned to go to be a doctor of osteopathic medicine, a DO, not an MD, or be a chiropractor. My dad is a chiropractor. And so I was kind of going to just do that and take over the family business that way. While I was at Unishippers, I had to move to Minneapolis to go to chiropractic school. And so we made the move. But in the middle there, I was at a CrossFit gym working part-time as well so I could pay for my membership there. But I really loved CrossFitting and one of the members that I was coaching, owned a franchise for another company called R.R. Uh, Donnelly's DLS Worldwide. For over a year while I worked at Unishippers, he continually kind of hounded me and was like, hey, come work here instead. I'll pay you more. Do the same thing, but I'll pay you commissions. And at some point, I went to Unishippers and I said, hey, I brought on like 46 customers in a year. I think that's good, but I didn't get any commissions. <laughs> so could I be a sales rep now? And they said, we're not hiring sales reps. So I left to take a commission only role with DLS. And and if you bear with me, that's part of the story. It's important because I had to go to my wife and say, Hey, I got this new job. We're going to go to chiropractic school. I got this new job. It's going to pay me commission. And she's like, that sounds awesome. 
how much? And I said, well, it's commission only. So it's like zero. But if I do good, <laughs> it could be a lot. And she goes, so you're going to make zero dollars? And I said, wow. To start. <laughs> they're going to pay me $500 a month for three months to get me going. You know, and our rent's only a thousand. So, <laughs> and she, to her credit, she goes, all right, I'm out of nursing school. I'll put you through this little commission only gig. And so she took the brunt of it and she was my sugar mama for a bit. And the plan was to go to chiropractic school. And over the summer I did, I made a hundred cold calls a day, except for I had already been trained for a year and a half. And so I knew what I was doing and She's really killing it. I was simple, but not easy. I just continued to make calls and I got customers and then I started making commissions. And I was on pace to make like $100,000 that year by the time I got to chiropractic school and I was doing the math. I said, hey, Mar, I don't think I need to go. Or my wife's name is Mari. I said, Mari, I don't think I need to go to chiropractic school. I think I could just sell freight. Like, this is easy. And that's how I did that. Now, the reason I started rocket shipping is that I was at that company, R.R. Donnelly's DLS, for five-ish years as an independent contractor. Never left that commission-only role did really well. And I was 24, 25 and making a lot of money for just commissioned only kind of exploited the contract because I didn't think I'd do quite so well. And I kept moving up in commission percentage. And throughout, you know, 2019, there was some buyouts and then TFI, uh, T-Force ended up going to try to purchase DLS worldwide. And before they bought UPS Freight, I was at DLS and I knew about the deal before it happened. And I said, Hey, Maybe I could go to a different company. I started looking at options. But the real story is that I had a my second kid. Her name's Magnolia. And she ended up being in the NICU in May of 2020. And so bad timing to be in the NICU because we had a one and a half year old at home. Wait, what is NICU? So it's like the neonatal intensive care unit. So she was like, a she was born and they had to bring her into like the specialty floor right away because she had trouble uh, keeping her blood sugar. Yeah, so it's super scary. And she was there for six days. And normally that's like a difficult time, but she ended up being pretty reactive and like was healthy after two days. And so we weren't too worried, but it was COVID like peak hysteria. Nobody was wearing masks, but then they started to No one. It was way after 15 days to slow the spread, but before like the second wave. And so everybody was still like, what is this? Well, the hospitals were just locked down. And so I had a one and a half year old at home. My wife had a C-section. And I was in the NICU, but once you went in that floor, they sealed that you couldn't leave. So if I left the NICU, that, that floor, I had to leave the hospital. I couldn't go back in. And so I was in there for six days without leaving the floor. And my wife ended up going home after three to take care of our son. While I was in there, I was running the business because I was an independent contractor. I had no ops support. I was doing everything that I had to do still as a freight broker. And I realized I could do it on my own. And I said, well, this <laughs> company really support like helping me during that time. And I was like, if I'm doing it on my own anyways, I should start my own company and do it for real. So that was when I made the decision. And then in, you know, later in the year in 2020, during the November of 2020. So there was nothing going on at that point, only just a major election and second wave of COVID. And I was like, Hey, Mari, I think I should quit my job. And she's like, yeah. And start rocket shipping. And she's like, how much will you make then? I said, well, zero. <laughs> So two times forgiving wife. <laughs> yeah. So I, that's only, that's the only two times I can play that card. I can't do it again, but I started rocket shipping, you know, going back towards the beginning. Now, as I worked my way through that story, the LTL, the residences, I was doing that already. I found that I was working with companies in 2017 that were shipping 
furniture to houses and patio furniture and grills. And I had the same customers in 2020. They've been with me for three years and they were growing 30, 40, 50, hundred percent year over year. So my book of business was growing without even getting new customers because these companies were fast growing. And so I said, well, I went to the leadership at DLS and I said, I think we should double down, triple down on e-commerce. Let's build a whole model around Final Mile and LTL. And they didn't see the same vision as I did. And I don't blame them because they were in mergers and acquisitions and didn't think it was a priority. But I said, I'm going to go do it. I left and I you know, didn't have any non-solicits, no non-competes. I was just an independent contractor. So I started with a couple of customers, brought them with me, hired my brother-in-law, hired my buddy. And uh, that was 20... That's January 2021, and now we're in June of 2023, and we're at about we have like 29 employees now, and we're doing pretty well and growing fast. Nice. We're just uh, and now is that is that both companies, both Rocket uh, Logistics and Rocket Shipping? No, that's Rocket Shipping has 27. Rocket Logistics has another five or so that we've added since uh, November. So that one's fast growing as well. It's very interesting when we talk. So before we hit record, we were talking a little bit about residential LTL. I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about that. Is most LTL traditionally has been delivered either to a retail location or to a manufacturing facility. I'm sure there's other other things that happen, but usually not to homes. Now, when you think about a big truck, like an LTL truck, an 18 wheeler, whatever, you can't see that going down the street and delivering. So they have to deliver it differently. And by the way, guys, if you ever sell LTL, it's a very tough business for those operators. There's a reason there's not that many players. It's a tough space. So if you say, I would like to deliver to an expo center for an upcoming conference, they charge you a lot more. If you want to deliver to a storage facility, they charge you a lot more. There's so they have all these accessorials, I guess they call them. You need a lift yeah. gate, you need a lift gate, accessorial. So, and I'm not, this is no criticism, but the challenge you run into sometimes is somebody goes, oh, sell TL company and move it from here to here for this much money. A lot of times there's a lot of accessorials that you didn't think about, like a lift gate. And so when you talk about delivering to a home, that is much more expensive and much more complicated. I say this all the time regarding if I'm delivering to Target or Ford Motor Company or to Nissan or to Costco, those are professional shippers who know how to receive. They are at a dock. There's guys, you know them, you see them all the time. They're like, hey, hey, Gabe, hey, Joe. They unload it, boom, it's taken care of. But if I'm delivering to a house and I've never delivered there before. They've never been a professional receiver or a professional shipper for that matter. And they have a dog that's barking and wants to bite you. There's a beehive potentially on the porch. The address is not on the house for some reason. (laughs) There might be, if you're in Fargo, uh, three feet of snow on the ground. It is a very, very difficult business and it's very unpredictable. And we're talking about supply chains. We're talking about how do I be effective, meaning I get the desired results, but also how do I be efficient, meaning use the minimum amount of resources. So if I send Gabe and Joe out on their routes to deliver, I can't have them take an extra few hours because of unpredictable experiences. So it's very tough. So most times, I think a lot of LTL companies, they they charge you extra for sure. And I think they probably put 
a whole bunch of guardrails around it. Like we'll do it under these circumstances. Yeah. If our, <laughs> the one thing that we run into the most is we can't get a truck down that road, we can't deliver it. And because like uh, people just assume that, you know, an LTL carrier, if they picked up the shipment in Memphis, that they're going to deliver it in Denver. And I'm like, yeah, I understand the premise, like why they agree to pick it up, but it's a different terminal manager. It's a different asset. It's moving across the country. And the guy who's operating in Denver, they don't have visibility until it hits their dock to why, like if it's going residential, that's why they don't make the appointment until it gets there. Some of them, you know, FedEx has gotten sophisticated enough to set appointments while it's in transit. Uh, But that terminal manager, it's up to his discretion or her discretion to get that freight out there. And if it's two hours from their terminal, they're not going to do it the next day or they're only going to work it in as available. And if it's a long windy gravel road and the driver doesn't feel comfortable on it, either in the winter or he's a new driver, oftentimes it comes back to the terminal and rocket shipping will either work with the consignee or the end user and the company that's working with us and say, Hey, they can pick it up or we can have a a rescue. We do a lot of rescues where it's like a, a local white glove agent picks it up in a sprinter van and takes it to their house. But those are just some of the problems. You pick it up at the terminal. And by the way, that sometimes happens with LTL. You look and you go, go online and it says, hey, your shipment is out for delivery. And then at, at the end of the day, you're, you go, hey, did it deliver? What? <laughs> you go, did it deliver? Because it said it was out for delivery. Oh, well, no, our driver's back though. Well, that means they didn't load it onto the truck. Now that... That can happen because keep in mind, there was a route driver at the pickup location, six cities away, and there was a line haul. And then you had the terminal. They have to load all the right pallets on the aisle of the right truck. So you have a lot more handling, which means potentially there's more damage. But there's also just anytime you have more handling, there's been more opportunity for screw ups. And but but this doesn't change the fact that when we started buying stuff online, we weren't just buying Bic lighters. We were buying couches. We were buying stuff that needed to be shipped via LTL. And it's not, it's not easy, but it has to be done. And I've mentioned to you before we hit record, I have a daughter, she lives in Portland and I won't mention the retailer, but a retailer you had all recognized. She found this thing, a table and said, I would like to buy this table. And they're like, we don't have any available for e-commerce. And, but we do have one in a store in Boston. She's like, cool, I'm in Portland. I'll just stop by. And um, so Portland, not Portland, Maine, Portland, Oregon. So yeah. she said, okay. So he called them, said, can you ship it? And they said, yeah, that has to go. You have to figure out we won't ship it for you. So she called me and said, should we ship it LTL or should we ship it small parcel? I put it up on LinkedIn and a whole bunch of people weighed in. Thank you everybody for weighing in, <laughs> yeah. but no good answers. No good answers. So people who say just ship it as a small parcel don't realize that it might weigh 10 pounds, but you're going to get the dimensional weight on that. And what that means is if I ship a hockey stick, they don't say that weighs seven pounds. They say it's it's five and a half feet long. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to call it 30 pounds because of the length of it. So a lot of times things don't fit in the small parcel world. And when it doesn't, FedEx and UPS and the main players, they will price accordingly. So they will. Oh yeah, for they sure. They will give you. They will give you a go away price. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We had a client. Man, I think it was in it was in early to mid 2021, 
they rolled out a new product and they designed it. And we were talking before recording as well about engineering and product design, but they designed it to ship parcel and should fit right in the back of a pickup, but it, it didn't ship parcel because as volumes increased during COVID, UPS moved their dim factor down and suddenly it just fit just outside that factor where UPS said they'll take it, but they gave a reverse price incentive. So they said, if you give us 40 a week, which this company is doing a lot more than that, if you give us 40 of these orders a week, we'll give you a 50 or 60% discount. But if you give us 500 a week, we'll give you a 10% discount. So they said, please go away. And it's just not supposed to work that way. The client came to me and showed me it because we don't do parcel negotiations, but he just had to bend my ear. He goes, what is this? And I was like, that means they don't want that. Like real bad, they don't want that. But then they're, they're stuck trying to figure out a good way to ship it. How do you get it to someone's house then? Yep. So I want to take a quick time out to tell you about my friends over at Lean Solutions Group. Lean Solutions is a nearshore offshore service provider, and they provide a range of services, including operations, technology, marketing, sales, and business process outsourcing. They work with over 500 U.S. transportation and logistics companies. And what they have is this model where they have satellite offices down in Colombia, Guatemala, Mexico, and the Philippines. And their, their approach is real low cost, low risk, low hassle. They have 9,000 employees now. They're one of the fastest growing companies in America. And again, everybody I know seems to be working with them. But if you're not working with them, check them out. Lean Group, L-E-A-N group.com. And by the way, my podcast is edited by someone from Lean, Lean Solutions Group. They're a fantastic company. I just did an interview with Ryan Mann. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Check them out. So one of the things we're, we're learning as we speak, as an industry, how to manage e-commerce. Now, a lot of people have been on my podcast in recent years talking about we opened a warehousing and fulfillment business that helps e-commerce companies. And one of the things almost universally we learned is as those companies were growing, many of them backed by venture capital said yes to a lot of business that now they wish they didn't have. So they found out we don't have the, these smaller guys aren't a good fit. And so they're either getting rid of them, firing them, which is unpleasant. No one wants to do that. But if you can't serve them the way you want, that happens. And I talked to Dusty over at Red Stag Fulfillment, and he calls this team the herd. They do big and bulky, small parcel shipments. So if you bring him small stuff, he says, we can do the small stuff. We do big and bulky, small parcels, but we don't want it. We are the guys who are excel at big and bulky. That's the space. It means their, their warehousing locations are much bigger. It means you can't automate as much but that's what they've chosen. And so I think we're starting to see warehousing and fulfillment companies picking a lane saying, we will work with this. This is our sweet spot. Can't be, it's not going to be, we are an e-commerce fulfillment company. We are everything to everyone. And so you have to pick and you guys have picked. So name of the title is Residential LTL delivery perfected. Tell me why you perfected or how you, better yet, how you perfected, not why. No why. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think the the original 
premise is that, you know, e-commerce companies, we talked about it a little bit and how their freight spend in relation to their revenue when they're shipping LTL is, is 20% or more, right? And so it's a very Matters. important factor to them. So one is cost controls. I think anybody could figure that out and Rocket did, but, you know, tariff negotiation and instead of having just blanket rates, we say, hey, these carriers have lift gates on all their trucks. These carriers want to take home delivery. They're actually trying to pursue that. And so we get tariffs and spend with those carriers. So cost control is one, but I think more importantly is scale. And what we do for e-commerce brands that I think is really differentiates Rocket from the market is that imagine, you know, an e-commerce founder gets into the business and he's great at SEO and marketing and, and website design and Google ads, but 50% of their business is, is freight shipping. The hard part. <laughs> Selling the product and getting the ROAS to four or five or 10 is what they're good at, but they're losing their ROAS and shipping cost. And that's Wait, what, what is ROAS? Explain that to people who don't know. Return on ad spend for like the, the people that are in the e-commerce industry. They, they always say ROAS, but return on ad spend, you spend 100,000, you want to make 400,000. But they're looking at these numbers and not understanding with parcel shipping, they give you zone map pricing. With LTL, you don't know what it's going to cost. It's, it's 100 weight and it's per mile and there's weight breaks. And it's very difficult to say, here's what it's going to cost to this region. And so they're getting this four times ROAS and then shipping is eating all the margin because they're offering free shipping. So they need to focus on that. But it's if they put take their eye off the ball and they don't have rocket shipping working with them to help them streamline and get better rates, that's, you know, they take their eye off of ad spend. So that's one thing, cost control and consulting. But then I think the most important thing is we do fractional staffing. So one, we'll integrate into Shopify, WooCommerce, NetSuite, all of those ERPs and, and shopping carts so that they don't have to hire somebody to just sit there and type in BOLs all day. A lot of these clients are doing 50 orders a day of LTL BOLs, individual BOLs, and that's just a lot of data entry. So we, we get rid of that by automating it. And then last, every time an LTL order gets picked up and goes to a residence, the chances that there's a billing variance or that there's a reconsignment, a return, a missed delivery appointment, or a damage is about 20% of the time. So one of those happens one out of five. That was billing discrepancies one. And you said damage is another. What was another one you just said? Reconsignments, which means, hey, the consumer ordered it and it went to their billing address instead of their shipping address from Shopify, or it's their vacation home and they need it now to go to their actual residence. And so they call- So that's about 20%, huh? Yeah. Between those, I mean, between all of those combined, it's at least one out of five shipments gets touched more than a, you know it should. And then the biggest one is the LTL carriers make an appointment and they don't get out there and they call and they say, hey, we can't make it today. Well, the, the end user, again, they're not a seasoned receiving expert. And so they get pretty upset because whatever it was they're ordering was expensive. It was important to get there fast. And the expectation was that they had to take a half day off of work to receive it. Now the freight carrier who the dispatcher, quite frankly, probably doesn't care because they deal with problems all day. So they're not the most sympathetic people calling and saying, sorry, I ruined your day. That customer, the end user, calls our customer and yells. What Rocket does is we say, no, 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 have them call us. We will shield you from that bad review. We will help scale your team so you're not, ha you're not hiring customer service reps just to get yelled at and track shipments all day. Rocket will do all of that. And so we'll do the BOL automation. We'll do the reconsignments and the claims. And we'll deal with the hassle with Roadrunner and the other carriers. 
so that you can focus on scaling your business. Right. I got to tell you how bad this gets, and I won't mention names, and you'll understand why in a minute. Around Christmas time, I started getting a lot of phone calls from consumers who were angry about shipments that were not going to be there on time for Christmas. Now, keep in mind, I don't manage freight, but I talked <laughs> to people on my podcast who manage freight. So they would call and say, they didn't, you were not on the list. They would call and say, hi, Joe, I just see you, you just, you know, Gabe, could you tell Gabe, could you transfer me to Gabe? I go, we don't work together you know, <laughs> on my podcast, but people would tell me what was going on and it was absolutely nightmarish. And these were LTL shipments, which again, are just notoriously difficult anyway, but to deliver L to deliver LTLs consistently to a factory or distribution center or a retail location is tough work. To ship it to a consumer is the next level of difficult. And I get why a lot of people don't want to do it. But you just kind of mentioned all these things. They go wrong on a regular basis. The billing on this, and I always say it's just to be real simple, you do the freight bill auditing. And I think that's super important because I might be quoted a price of that's going to cost you $245, Joe. And I'm like, cool, that's going to work just fine. And then, um, then the bill comes back and it's, $345. And they say, oh yeah, there was an extra hundred bucks because of blank and blank. And and sometimes it's because I didn't give them the right dimensions or- Yeah, sometimes, yeah. But sometimes it is pure, what I'll call LTL nonsense that is where they said, that was a wooden desk, not a metal desk that you shipped. Yeah. And it makes you just go, hang on, I'm going to get in my car and I'm coming to kick your ass because this is not yeah, You said the legs were off of it, but I saw that there was a leg attached somewhere. So that they was are going to, Yeah, they're going to change that, but it is the dumbest system. And people who are living it now, they're changing it. FedEx, others are changing it. It's a system that was developed a long time ago that makes no sense. But that is a, a thing for consumers and also for these LTO carriers, where, or for your shippers, who the difference between a successful transaction and a loss is the LTL price, where it jumped from 245 and I said, I'm all good, to 345 I lost $80. <laughs> Yippee! <laughs> yeah. Part of the problem with the industry, too, is that we talked about there's only 25 players. There's really 10 big players in the carrier side. There's only 80% really, of the volume. Yeah. And then on the brokerage side, there's only six players that matter on the blanket rate side and the brokerage side. And they're big enough. Now they all start with a B billion dollar companies. They're all big enough that like, they just bill and hope you don't see the hundred dollar difference instead of actually what we do at rocket. And there's others who do it well as you know, in the industry, but the standard at Rocket is that we get the freight bill variance and it flags in our internal system. It can't bill until we click bill. So that's one step. And then two, we're just going to let the customer know there's been a reclass or a reway. We'll also dispute it with our partners and with our internal team. And we don't win every dispute, but and we end up having to bill back. And sometimes, you know, us and our customer have to say, hey, the carrier kind of got away with one here, but it's not worth 30 bucks. Let's just split it and move on. But that's such a big part of the industry in the 3PL world where they just they just bill it and then they hope you don't catch it and then you're chasing money and then they charge late fees. And it's just, it's pretty absurd on that side from carriers and brokers. Yeah, and again, nobody, nobody listening to my podcast today 
invented that system. They're living with it. And I think we are seeing changes in it. But I think in the meantime, I think companies like yours, when you have your customers, you're saying, I'm going to go back and negotiate a rate that makes sure that that never happens again. And, And there's that that tariff that you have, have worked with them on and say you're never going to be rebuilt you're not we're not going to be tricked again and again, tricked again we're not going to miss again because sometimes this is another thing that LTL shippers sometimes do is they don't tell you the proper weight and then yeah. and then somebody picks it up and then they deliver it and they say by the way you didn't you didn't weigh it right and now more and more LTL companies are been through their terminals they have those laser measurements dimensionalizers yeah Yeah. and i remember i won't mention the names but the company said we make a million dollars per person doing those things so meaning rebills basically but people and it's funny every once in a while when you talk to a company you say there's that classes in there so they said well we always ship this class 60 and i said well that's not a class 60 that's a class 200 well, as soon as we would get involved, it would be reclassed as two hundred dollars as class two hundred, and now it's much more expensive. But eventually, they're going to get caught on that class sixty anyway. Oh my goodness! The industry's so rife with ca- shippers who are just waiting to hopefully not get caught on their FAKs or their classes or their weight changes over the years, and they don't update it, and suddenly it's outside of the twenty five dollar pound or twenty five pound right. allowance, and then wham! But it, but sometimes it can happen when a company like yours gets involved with them and they're like, why are our prices skyrocketing? Yeah, they almost see us as the problem. I'm like, no, this is the accuracy. <laughs> like, right. You, you, you have to be a fair dealer because the LTL companies are your partners and you say, I'm going to make sure you're making your oh, money. Oh yeah. We don't want to give them freight. Like that's, I guess, false advertising, right? We want to make sure we have the integrity on both sides of it. So, so, I'm going to summarize and I'm going to get your final thoughts on this. So we're talking about residential LTL delivery perfected. And again, it, it we've talked about it most of the podcast, how difficult LTL is in general, but then to add the residential element, ridiculous. So what you guys do is you kind of become that company in between and somebody could say, oh, another middleman. It's a middleman you desperately need. <laughs> you do yeah, not want to do this you on your own. You don't want to hire in-house, right? <laughs> you know, you don't want to hire an in-house team to manage exceptions. And it's a high turnover position. There's a lot of churn in the industry. And if you're trying to staff it at e-com, every time you get 10 more orders a day or 20 more orders a day, you need another body at 50,000. And with rising costs of labor, all of that management and middleman are two separate terms. And we always lean towards, we're going to manage the exceptions. You're the middle, consult. you're the middle man who will save them money. So you talked about, you'll save them some cost. Uh, you'll help them scale. You act as a consultant in the middle, bringing the technology platform that makes everything streamlined and you integrate. You got some, a lot of automations making life a lot easier. All of the things that go wrong, the billing problems, which are so part of LTL. Some of them are inflicted by the by the shipper. Some is just the nature of LTL business. Damage, you deal with that. Uh, the reconsignments, the appointments, and remaking those appointments. All of these yep. challenges you guys take care of. Final thoughts on this. You know, my final thoughts on this is that as we, you know, and I did kind of pull a thread from the story earlier. I talked about in 2017, I started working with these brands that were growing. Some of the brands I was working with then, I still work with now, and they were 20 million in annual sales, and now they're 100 million in annual sales. And so I think that the the industry 
the carriers are finally deciding that that's where it's going, right? It's no longer a question of is e-commerce here to stay and how are we going to deliver to residences and should we even focus on that? It's it's now a race to this mid-market and who's going to execute in the final mile. I still think that it's just a blue ocean and a, the final thoughts of what Rocket is going to be doing with that is the mid-market. If you're not big enough to work with Uber Freight and you're too big to work with just one brokerage, then then you should be working with somebody like Rocket Shipping and that's the the problem in the market and our solution is to do the mid-market managed trends. Excellent, excellent. So I like to interview smart, interesting people like you who are killing it in the space. Who else should I talk to? You know, I think uh, one really interesting company and we just recently signed a deal with them. So I may be biased, but we haven't started working with them. But I think they're super interesting is a company called Navix and they do freight bill disputes and the oh. co-founder <laughs> Eric is Eric Kruger. I've been working with him. He seems like a good Midwest guy. His company is is fully funded and, and they're doing something really cool in the space with changing the way, uh, I guess I would say bringing freight bill auditing to, you know, 2023 instead of the 1990s. So. Yeah, I love it. I, I love it. it. Hopefully you can introduce me because you got his email address. I joke about this, but every once in a while somebody gives me these names and I go, cool. And I go on on LinkedIn. I go, oh, there's only 60 Eric Krugers. I'll just go through all of these pages. <laughs> yeah, Eric Kruger is not that easy. <laughs> yeah. So what conferences will we see you at? You know, I think I will be at JOC this fall. I'll be at Freight Waves in the fall in November. And we'll be at Manifest next year. Ah, Manifest. I, I, I was there last year. And I just, I think you guys were at TMSA, right? Yeah, we had uh, Samantha Jones at uh, TMSA and Home Delivery World. I did not meet Samantha at TMSA Elevate, which was down in Savannah, Georgia. But I was going through, I was like, oh, that was one more person I was supposed to talk to. And it's funny because, you know, that's the nature of these conferences. I heard the other day somebody said, well, there's 225 people at the conference. I was like, how am I not getting around to 225 people? Yeah, it doesn't seem like that many. But I'm like, I'm like, you know, the 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 CEO of this company should fire the sales guy of this company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to talk to Joe. About it. I he cuts my pay, but he never fires me. Yeah, he's just got to have a little bit of tolerance there. Yeah, but anyway, I love what you guys are doing, and it is. I love that you picked a niche or niche. So many companies kind of get in this position where they say, oh, well, if, we, if it moves, we can move it or we, we, we can move anything. And by the way, if you're Echo Global, maybe you can. Yeah, TQL or Echo maybe. Yeah. But. but most companies have to pick a niche. And again, this is not it. This is not for the weak. <laughs> this is, this yeah, is LTL. Here. Yeah, <laughs> man. I think that nothing great ever came easy. So, I mean, a lot of max effort, max reward. I, I really am passionate about building business, but also I think, you know, I see what we're doing with companies and I like building my own business. But one of the things we do with e-commerce businesses is we help them scale theirs. And whether we work with Clorox or somebody like that on enterprise, we're not really helping their business, right? We're a service provider, but on our niche with e-commerce, we're, we're helping companies go from five employees to 50 and seeing that and, and being a part of it. So that's what kind of drives us. I love it. I love it. So what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile and I'll put a link to your website and any other links that you and your marketing team give me. And all right. I love what you guys are doing. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. Have a great day. Yep. Thank you. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. 
You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.